0: Saying, oh yeah, you know, it's fine, it's just gonna you know, it'll be it'll be a couple days, you're gonna stay off it, and it's like you're new, Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> and so it dawned on me,
1: holy crap, I might not live long enough to see another Orioles World Series.
0: Get rid of Sam Caviglia or Joe Biagini or something. I mean, who cares about those guys?
2: Their mothers do, Josh. Their <laughs> mothers do. And welcome to episode number 132 of Artificial Turf Wars, where we'd rather eat a grapefruit than a cactus. That's in case you wonder where we stood on this whole spring training league thing. I'm your host, Greg Wisniewski, and I am joined as usual by Joshua Hausum, Josh. How's it going back in Canada? Yeah, so there's your first sign That's not so good. (laughs) You know what? I'm all right. Where is my
0: humidity? (laughs) Where's my, you know, more than minus 10 degree weather?
2: Yeah, uh, the thermostat, we got it. It's stuck. We'll we'll try and get it up by the weekend for you. See what we can do. Um, Thank you. So we're going to go over the Jays Grapefruit League record because for real, they have one now. uh, And you'll be shocked. I tell you what it is the uh, Blue Jays made a couple moves that surprise people almost as much for their clubhouse effect as for their on-field effect both Clay Buckholes and Bud Norris have joined the roster Devin Travis and his knees yes, that not his regular bad knee amazing, really uh, Vlad Jr., good news he still knows how to hit the baseballs we also have uh update on Aaron Sanchez with his first start. We have an interview with Jake from Birds Eye View Baltimore to uh line us up with just how far below the Blue Jays the Baltimore Orioles are planning on being this year. And then we have your questions and uh sort of some some league uh, rules news that may affect uh play coming up in 2020. So, we begin with the Grapefruit Le- League. Why can I not say Grapefruit League tonight? Too many cactuses in your mouth? Cactus? <laughs> hey, yeah, we've sampled both cactus and grapefruit, and although <laughs> grapefruit is horrible, <laughs> cactus worse. Um, <laughs> the, the Jays are three and six, which puts them, as you have observed to me, dead last in in the league uh, of those teams playing in Florida. So, congratulations, guys! You carved it for yourself. Very
0: important, by the way. Oh, spring huge, training,
2: dude. <laughs> 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 the most important thing we're going to talk about today well i mean it's some individual stats i think it's significant to note uh we had a couple players you uh you were dialed in on the offensive side yeah
0: you know the jays have five guys who are an ops over a thousand wow now. two of those guys have you know under five at bats but <laughs> <laughs> sort of six of them and then but four of them you know Tasker Hernandez, Gurriel, Bichette. And oh, Max whoa. Pentecost has his five at bats, but you know it's it's fun to watch guys hit because that's
2: the only thing you can do in spring training. Call up Bo Bichette, <laughs> totally. What what are we waiting for? Hit a bomb. Uh, hit a bomb. <laughs> you see the ball. Hit a bomb. Um, okay, so now we we we've been over the Grapefruit League uh, thrilling update. The Blue, Blue Jays. Second. Yes.
0: The most thrilling one. So in six at-bats, Randall Grichuk is hitting 167, but his OPS is 104 four two <laughs> because he hit a home run.
2: <laughs> uh, That's the problem with having more than 40 guys in camp and nobody playing a full game. You get some really, you know, it's like, oh, we're nine games in. Yeah, but your, your starting right fielder or four, probable starting right fielder has what, six, at, six four at-bats?
0: Yeah, well, he was also hurt, but
2: yeah. <laughs> He's back. Uh, okay, Clay holes. We need to talk about Clay holes first because uh, Clay holes was quite good last year when he was finishing off the season with the Diamondbacks.
0: Yeah, he was. Uh, he, like it seems to be a requirement to join this Blue Jays staff, was injured. Every pitcher in the Blue Jays' potential starting rotation, if Baraki is not in it, which we'll get to, was injured last
2: year. I, I can't see anything going wrong with that in the near future at all. So, uh, cause they've gotten those out of the way. Now they're healed. That's how it works. Yeah.
0: The best predictor of future health is past injuries, but in the sense of it means you won't get injured again. Exactly.
2: You got to get them out of the way. Please don't look Perfect. anybody. Perfect. Look, do not write me letters. <laughs> <laughs> uh. um. So, you know, he he had an ERA around two, though, once he was back. Um, as in the National League, it's, you know, it's not the same thing exactly. But, uh, you know, Clay Buckholz has been around for a long time. He's certainly a veteran pitcher, and he beats the heck out of Clayton Richard.
0: Yeah, I mean, well, like I said, we'll get into whether that actually means anything for Clayton Richard. But, you know, he has been down the last couple of years. He's, you know, average fastball was 90.8. You know, when he was at his best, it was 94. So it's hard to say why he was so successful last year. I mean, his pitch mix wasn't really any different, but you know, by all measures, you know, DRA, FIP, Sierra, ERA, obviously he was pretty good. And you know, like the Jays could use guys who are pretty good because yeah. the guys they had before
2: were. Eh. So is it okay that I still dislike the signing with the, the intensity of a thousand suns? <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: yeah.
2: <laughs> uh, this is one of those instances where the guy may or may not make the team better. I mean, leaning towards may, but I mean, the, all I can remember is this man sweating, ha ha, profusely on a mound and a, on a cool April night with the or May night with the dome open and and constantly rubbing his arms in the hopes of of uh, obtaining some sort of substance off of them. Um, I just. I don't like pitchers who pitch like that. I I don't I don't like his greasy face. That's again, it's just purely personal. There's <laughs> there's nothing behind well, the it greasy there.
0: face. Probably because his long hair or they're just covered in grease is whacking into his face. Uh, yeah, I mean, he there's no pitcher <laughs> that I've ever seen who's like that guy is doctoring the baseball <laughs> every 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 start. It's like there's no way that that guy is
2: naturally looking like that. <laughs> like. He, he and michael paneda could have traded tips at any time anywhere 100%. Well,
0: Mike see michael Pineda was just like,
2: "You know what? I'm just going to have this big mark on my arm." It's like I'm not even going to try <laughs> to hide it. <laughs> um so yeah, I mean, maybe the doll, the ball doctoring works for clay and maybe that's part of what makes him good. Nobody ever calls him out on it, but uh, I don't know. He just seems you know like a greasy person because he's physically a greasy person when he gets out there. Uh yeah. Yeah, some other people but, have had issues with his personality. I I don't know. I think that's more of a Bud Norris problem, which we're going to get to in a bit.
0: Yeah, I mean, I've people I've heard people like reference this article where he's like he's friends with Donald Trump. Okay, Trump introduced him
2: to his wife. Uh, but it's a baseball player. Like a lot of them are Trump guys. Yeah, it's, if, if, rich white guys and and Trump tend not to. You know, they don't they don't branch apart too often.
0: Right, so like, if if that's something you care about and think it's going to have an effect on the club, and it's well, you shouldn't be watching baseball. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: it's, it's going to get awkward pretty fast if you really look at any uh, half the players that you're looking at. Uh, yeah, go ahead.
0: Beyond that, I've never, I haven't heard any actual character issues about Clay Buckhold since he's been a pro. He stole a bunch of laptops when he was in college, but you know, he, he was a poor college student. Uh, but I don't. I mean, I don't care. It's, it's kind of the point. I I do think he's he could be pretty good and he has a one of the interesting things about his contract is that it's not he's covered in case he goes to the bullpen
2: Hmm. the uh his incentives are not tied to starts
0: oh they're tied to innings pitched and relief appearances he has two separate ones
2: ah very
0: clever yeah i well i think it is pretty clever i don't know who his agent is but they cover that and especially because they were saying you know, they'll try they're trying to get him ready for the rotation but you know if he does, if he runs out of time then he'll probably start it in the bullpen or something like that
2: man imagine if teams could sign guys like back in november and they could get a full spring training in that'd be if they allowed that as part of the rules that'd be pretty cool maybe they'll change that in the next cba maybe uh so we had to say goodbye to somebody off the 40 man to sign clay and you pointed out that that was dwight smith jr yeah, I, I don't know
0: that I expected that to be the first one. I thought they'd put Julian Merriweather on the 60-day DL first, but I guess they want to see how his recovery actually goes before throwing him away. <laughs> that sounded really bad. <laughs> Sorry, the 60-day IL, the name has changed. Yeah. But, uh, Dwight Smith Jr. makes sense. Uh, you know, He's, what, the sixth outfielder on the depth chart right now? Maybe seventh? He And he is what he is. He's a fourth outfielder who's not going to be much better than that, but... A team might be interested in him, like Cleveland. Cleveland needs outfielders; they don't have any, so you know, maybe they'll give a, you know, a low reliever for Dwight Smith Jr. rather than trying to lose someone at the end of the se- at the end of camp, like Dalton Pompey.
2: And um, we'll see how that strategy plays out. But still, a relatively minor move either way. We're, we're not going to say, "Oh, well, if we'd only had Dwight Smith Jr." Unfortunately, um, that's the way it goes. Like you said, with sixth player who's sitting in the outfield. <laughs> All right.
0: Yeah, but, I mean, he has been solid here. But I think it's just yeah. worth mentioning, but it's not a big loss.
2: Bud Norris. Uh, yeah. So when we talk about, I mean, he he has an outlier fastball. I'm assuming, or an outlier something. That one no. we up No, he just throws hard. Yeah, he was good. Uh, good enough. But there's a problem. In that,
0: the sense- yeah. What we talked about with Clay Buckholz about the other things that don't seem like they're actually real issues, yeah. With Bud Norris, they're real issues.
2: <laughs> he, he seems like, uh, you know, kind of uh, a wanker.
0: <laughs> yeah, he really does. <laughs> so, with all the talk from the front office about building the chemistry, and, and and you know, and we talked to Kevin Smith about that, about some of the stuff they were doing with the minor leaguers and. But Norris kind of goes against that, <laughs> so it, it makes me think they must have had some kind of talk with him before bringing him in,
2: right? I guess. I mean, what, one of the incidents we're referring to is where he uh, gave, um, was, he, was he setting up for a, a rookie in the bullpen? He was closing. He was closing, and, and he gave his setup man an, an incredible hard time about absolutely everything he did all day long, because that's yeah. a grown-up thing to do
0: yeah and jordan hicks who who is the setup man who to whom greg's referring he didn't like it. it it wasn't like he's like oh this is good lessons from the veteran he he was unhappy about it he did not enjoy it and it made his baseball experience worse which you know when the guy's the hardest throwing pitcher in baseball you might want to nurture him not piss him off
2: or at the very least uh whatever approach you take should not be coming from one veteran player as a you know a uh, what we call it? I don't want to say lone wolf, but as a, as a loose cannon, just doing whatever he likes and treating this guy however he wants. Like, shouldn't management be stepping in and going, "Hey, you know this is this is not appropriate"? Which well, is what
0: Mike Matheny yeah. basically gave the boys will be boys kind of speech. Uh. Which you know, Mike Matheny's a moron, but he's gone and that doesn't matter. The other thing, Bud Norris, he. In 2015, gave an interview where he said, these players are getting paid American dollars. They should play the game the American way. You might have noticed there's a lot of players on this Blue Jays team who are not American. Yeah,
2: I did, yes.
0: And specifically, some of them, like Vlad Guerrero Jr., hits a triple in the dimin- in the winter. Yeah, the, well, he's playing for Dominican, but in, in winter ball and dances at third base the kind of thing that is exactly not what Bud Norris was talking about, or rather what he was talking about, but dislikes. Maybe not, again, the kind of thing you <laughs> want around this club.
2: Like I don't... How good was he that this was the guy they wanted to bring in after broadcasting loudly about character? This is That's the part I don't understand. If they had sort of been, well, you know, we moved out a couple guys who we didn't feel were a good fit, that's different than we want to build... Um, you know, an organization that has a commitment to a positive attitudes from the top to the bottom, you know, because the Bud Norris is like the anti-Curtis Granderson.
0: Yeah, I, I don't really get it. There must be something. I I, I don't know what it is, but there's got to be something because I don't think it was just lip service. I actually think they were trying to do something with this. Trying to like, That's why they went after CC Sabathia and that's why they signed Granderson. I mean, they didn't do this just be, for the sake of it.
2: Oh yeah, no. I think that that program is absolutely real. I'm not saying that that part's not real. I'm just saying, uh, like, that's why it's baffling, is what I'm yeah. saying, because I do think it's real. And then, then Bud Norris happened. Uh, yeah, we'll find out. I mean, spring ain't over but, yet, right? Well, they just wanted a record holder.
0: That's what it was. He's, it was- he, you know, they Pierce is gone, so they had to give the guy who gave up two walk off grand slams in the same week.
2: <laughs> I forgot that he was. The- Oh, yeah, let's get him back. Um, hmm. Yeah. <laughs> no,
0: here's the thing. Norris is actually not bad. He's a decent reliever. So from a baseball standpoint, again, it makes the Blue Jays' bullpen a bit better. I mean, assuming he, it's a minor league deal for him, so assuming he cracks the roster. But that's also going to create another 40-man issue because we've got... So Buckholz has been cleared away. Smith is gone. That means Axford and Norris both need to be added to the 40 man. And then, you know, three or four weeks in Vlad grow jr. Needs to be added. There's not a lot of room to do that. So I think there might be some like, well, maybe someone will get hurt and we'll deal with this later thinking.
2: (laughs) That's never panned out before. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's, that's a tomorrow's problem. Can I move on to one of today's problems? Yeah. Devin Travis hurt his knee. And as you you've so kindly informed me, no, not that knee, the other knee.
0: The <laughs> Dude cannot catch a break.
2: No, no pain-free winter, and now knee pain, and,
0: yeah, inflammation in his left uh, knee. It was funny. So I, I I was actually there when Charlie Montoya was telling the telling the uh, the reporters about it and uh he was saying oh yeah you know it's fine it's just going you know, to be it'll be a couple days you're going to stay off it and it's like
2: you're new charlie <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> we understand
2: <laughs> but that's actually how this works yeah that's 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 an interesting thought charlie i, I like yeah. <laughs> i like the way you think but i hate to disappoint you <laughs> oh my and goodness this
0: re- this really sucks for travis especially though because unlike in some seasons past there wasn't even necessarily a role for him, even if he was healthy.
2: hmm So now he doesn't get to audition for anything if if it if it's a prolonged absence.
0: Yeah, so now when the season starts, it's gonna be Drury at third, Galvius at short, Galvis, actually not Galvis, I was told that was wrong. Um, and Guriel at second. And they're just gonna to get to play with no worries about you know filtering guys in and out. And then when Vlad comes up, it's going to be Drury and Gurriel at second and short. Like That's going to be those three guys at those two positions. And Travis is um, back in Buffalo. I don't really know how it's going to work for him.
2: He is a bit boxed out. So I still wish him good health. But, of course. Uh, we liked him, Travis. Yeah, we do. But man, cannot catch a break. Vlad Jr., can he catch a breaking ball? <laughs> that's a horrible segue. Uh, you, were um, at, you were at the game a couple days ago so i i wanted you to relate to people his he, he took a a nice swing ended up on one hand a little bit a little bit on his front foot and you thought when you saw the ball hit
0: i thought it was going to be like a lazy fly on the left can <laughs> i hit the top of the fence pinged right off of it <laughs> um yeah that was special uh, i didn't understand <laughs>
2: like how strong is this guy i vlad jr hit the ball and i didn't understand i want that on a t-shirt or something
0: <laughs> i think we can make those yeah. <laughs> turf pod special maybe yeah. a special thing for the, like patrons
2: <laughs> yeah that'll be our our, uh, our first merch giveaway if we get up to that patronage level vlad, vlad jr hit the ball and i didn't understand
0: <laughs> sorry we were talking about this off air and Greg referenced Chris Davis, the you know the one who's bad now, and when he when he was good, the, which we've talked about on this podcast probably three or four times, but he'd hit these balls It looked like oh it's a lazy fly to left and it would be fifteen rows deep, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and it just didn't make sense. That's what this was.
2: Yeah, it's just, something happened there, and it didn't follow the normal rules according to <laughs> what I was expecting. Can we review the rules, please? Uh, yeah, good to have that guy on our team now. Um, soon, as it were. Aaron Sanchez got a start, and he looked look good. Yeah, normal. Normal's good. Uh, sitting, the radar gun had him sitting around ninety four, ninety five, which is not ninety seven, ninety eight, but is also his first outing of the spring. So, I mean, that's not life or death right
0: no it's not i'd like to see him start throwing a bit harder as the spring goes on because velocity does tend to stabilize pretty quickly but no he was throwing a bunch of strikes his curveball looked good i couldn't tell if he was throwing the change up that much because his changeup was really hard <laughs> mm. um he threw a couple of them for sure but uh no he he looked good he didn't look like there was any problems which is yeah, you know, when it comes to Aaron Sanchez, that's pretty much throwing strikes and not having problems. That's that's, <laughs> that's all that matters.
2: Yeah, his his season where he he led the American League in ERA. The outlier for that season for him was his ability to to limit walks. Um all the other yeah. stuff when he's been healthy, he's he's always done the same things.
0: Yeah, and I think that's sort of why people think that there's maybe a, more of a limit on his ceiling than most people would tend to think of, of a guy who recently led a league in the ERA because that is, you know, the, the three walks per nine, that was his lowest in any full-ish season. And, you know, that's, outliers happen. And that's why you lead the league in ERA.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, if he gets that lightning in a bottle again and he remains healthy, uh, then yeah, he's a, he's a very, very difficult pitcher. But if he's the usual Aaron Sanchez and he's walking four and a half per nine, um, he's good, but he's not great.
0: Yeah, it's like, you know, he walked in 2015, or sorry, 2016, he walked 8% of batters. It was 11.60% the year before, 12% the year after that, and 12.2% last year. I mean, it sounds like that's more what he probably is, but as you said, he's done it, so it could happen again, and if it does, he will be great. That's just the way it
2: is. 10-4. Uh All right, we are going to talk about a team that is not going to be great or even good even by (laughs) any any expert's estimation thereof Uh, we're going to come back with jake from bird's eye view baltimore and he's going to run down uh, just how bad the orioles were and can be and then one day in the future won't be we'll be right back with him We are pleased once again to be joined by our man in baltimore jake from bird's eye view baltimore welcome back to artificial turf thank, wars
1: thank you so much for having me back i i don't know why you'd want to be associated with anything from baltimore but i i appreciate you making the exception
2: oh 100 100 because uh we, we trust you to give us the real deal when it comes to baltimore and i feel like if we sought someone else out they would try and sugarcoat it that's just not fair when it comes to the orioles
1: <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm worried about you because, um, I, I don't, I don't know if you know, but the Orioles have got the bird flu and, um, frankly, I'm, I'm worried that it's contagious. Uh, if you get too close, uh, to things related to the Baltimore Orioles, you may come down with the sucks and side effects include sadness and cellar dwelling and losing.
2: Well, luckily the Jays mm. were at least thirty games away from them in the standings, weren't they? Was that? Is that a safe distance? I, I only. <laughs> I can only hope for you. Um. All right, Josh. So,
0: so you were worried about sugarcoating, eh? Yeah. The... Go ahead, Josh. Yeah, no, I, I mean it's funny you said that. So I was gonna work way way up to this, but you you brought us right to it. So. Before we get into the Orioles and, you know, what happened last year and what's not going to necessarily happen this year, can you, do you have the advice for our younger listeners who didn't experience the 20 years where the Jays were terrible about what it's like to enter a season where you have no hope? Because we haven't had that for a few years. Even last year, you could trick yourselves into thinking the team might potentially be okay.
1: Well, I'm, I'm not sure I'm the best person to ask. And, and let me explain. Um... So, not to date myself, but I was born in 1983, which is the last year that the Orioles won the World Series. Um, And that's interesting to me because in 2004, the Red Sox famously won the World Series for the first time in 86 years. And in the following year, the White Sox won the World Series for the first time in 88 years. Uh, Very famously, the Cubs have recently won for the first time in 108 years. And so it dawned on me, holy crap, I might not live long enough to see another Orioles World Series. And when you look at it that way, um, I'm sorry, there was a point there. Am I supposed to give your <laughs> listeners? Um,
2: no, just, just I, not hope, I just best, a coping mechanism. It's, it's not about I hope at this point. I think the best
1: way that I, I can put this is that, you know, uh, I love the Baltimore Orioles. I, I love watching Orioles baseball and I cannot explain to you why, uh, my formative years, uh, when it came to baseball, uh, you know, came in a half-empty Camden Yards where, you know, the team was getting pummeled night in and night out. And, and I got to tell you, I have a tremendous amount of fond memories of just going to see not even likable losers. Um, I, I, I cannot explain to you why baseball gets into your blood the way it does, but it does. And you will find times in awful seasons That fuel you. It's either the ridiculous play that you can't get over just how ridiculous that was that you just saw, or the fact that every win, as unlikely as it is, gives you just enough, like it fills you up with just enough to get to that next day, or that next win, or what have you. But it also makes the times that are good that much the sweeter, right? So here in Baltimore, we just lived through, let's call it five good years of baseball where, where the Orioles were really one of the premier teams in, in the American League uh, with nothing to show for it, uh, an ALCS in 2014, but there were good times. There were times where it wasn't embarrassing to be an Orioles fan. And I think if you can, um, if you can take baseball for what it is, which is, you know, 162 uh, six-month journey of of a good time night after night and find the things that make it a good time uh the winning and the losing might not matter quite as much
2: so you're saying one no, game sorry. at a time is the way to go rather than you know trying to take it all in at once
1: no it's one drink at a time you right
2: got that one <laughs> one shot at a time and you're good so i think you could focus on the fact i have to go back to last year because it was such an abysmally bad season i have to i have to just not not for you for our listeners i'll uh, let people know <laughs> so it, this could is be worse.
1: Science. i understand first I understand. of all this,
2: this, this is a traveling freak show i get it they had a 500 month did you know the Orioles had a 500 month last year in 2018 no uh, yeah in 2018 they had a 500 month march they were one and one
1: <laughs> that is that that is shocking to be honest i i am was sh- cruel <laughs> uh oh, in all the other months just- Gentlemen, you cannot hurt me I
2: can't for 2018. You bring it. Bring it all. So in all the other months, they failed to win 10 games even once. Mm-hmm. They managed to lose 20 games three times and 19 games two other times.
1: Yeah. You know, they say that losing 115 games is difficult, but the <laughs> Orioles made it look so easy.
2: <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, on paper, uh, this game, the team should have won 55 games and they only managed 47. So they got to that sliding end of the scale where you just sort of, you kind of fall off the bottom end because even when things are supposed to go right, occasionally they go wrong because they've already gone so wrong. Um, yeah, I like there, there's a lot of red ink there. Um, what would you say was, was the highlight of of the season from a from a an offensive perspective.
1: The highlight of the 2018 season from an offensive perspective. Um you've got to be kidding me. <laughs>
2: Trading <laughs> away Manny
1: Machado. No, there was one game. Wait, I can do this. There was one game and it's possible that it was Mother's Day. Sunday May 13th where they scored 17 runs it was either mother's day or it was that weekend they beat i think it was the red Sox, 17 to 1 or something absurd like that and it was it was especially funny because in an awful season to have an absolute laugher like that is like man every, you know any given sunday or whatever the the baseball version of that is is like a true thing like, so, this minor team should not have even come to play today, and yet, they, you know, they pummeled the other team.
2: I believe it so, was uh, Mother's Day. It was right after a doubleheader on Saturday, and they beat the Rays 17-1. to Okay. AL East opponent. I, I was close. Hey, they won 90 uh, games. It's perfectly respectable.
1: You know, I blacked out for most of the 2018 seasons. The fact <laughs> that I can remember anything positive is, is amazing there. Um, no, but really, the highlight of the season was just um, the the last game where... Uh, it was blessedly over fair,
2: fair. Uh, so yeah, looking, anyway, he, oh, go ahead. Looking forward. Uh, it, uh, we wanted to talk about that because there is a 2019, the world did not end. Uh, and they made some changes in the front office that I think, do you think those are going to be significant to the way the, the Orioles operate lurching forward here past 2019?
1: Well, guys, I'm so glad that you asked, and I want to answer your question in a very specific way. I want to talk about the Dominican Republic for a second. Yeah, I was going to ask about
0: that specifically, so good job. Uh,
1: the Dominican Republic is a very interesting place. And did you know, for instance, that the Dominican Republic uh, provided 112 soldiers to the United States military during World War II? Did not know that. Nope. And that 27 Dominicans were killed when German submarines sank uh, Dominican manned ships in the Caribbean. You see, the, the Dominican Republic uh, was one of the lesser notable countries involved in the most famous conflict in human history. And that's much like the Orioles 2019 season. They will be one of the least important parts of one of the best known divisions in baseball. Um, Frankly, there is nothing I can tell you about the Baltimore Orioles. That's going to matter in any significant way for a larger baseball audience. You guys are going to have a lovely view, 19 times of a minor league club. You're going to enjoy playing the Orioles. Um, you asked about Sigma Dell and uh, Michael Elias and the front office. Uh, we're thrilled here in Baltimore to have them. If you're going to have a rebuild, this is exactly the kind of staff that you want to bring in. Um, Michael Elias has obviously had success in places like uh, St. Louis as well as Houston And particularly with Houston, they've done exactly what we need here in Baltimore, take the worst club in baseball and turn them into a winner. And how do they do that? They do that by doing everything the Orioles have done horribly over the last 10 years, invest heavily in uh, markets like the Caribbean um, and and international spending, in committing to a scientific process and tools that the Orioles haven't. The the Orioles right now have a staff of analysts where they once had one from the data side, side of the house. So this is exactly what we need. And, you know, frankly, you know, I, I keep joking about how terrible 2018 is, but I'm almost glad that that horrible thing happened to kind of wake up the organization to say a, a drastic change in approach is necessary. Um, so I'm actually really interested in seeing what the Orioles do because for the first time, I think that we have the possibility of a rebuild that we can believe in from a process standpoint. Um, The good years from 2012 to 2017 were something that happened almost in spite of our best uh, efforts to compete, um, it was the type of thing where we we found guys like oh Miguel Gonzalez from the from the Mexican League. He's actually an okay pitcher for a little while. Oh Chaz Rowe has the best slider in baseball for two weeks because we picked him up off the the scrap heap. Um, but at this point, Orioles fans can look at the players that being are being drafted. We'll be able to know that there are solid, analytic. As well as scouting reasons that those players are selected, and we'll be able to watch them come through the minor league, uh, the minor league system. In the past, we have been sold a false bill of goods. Uh, we have been offered magic beans from our, our front office in the minor leagues. Uh, very famously, we had the concept of the cavalry, which is this next wave of pitchers, young pitchers that were going to come up. Because remember, the Orioles had the first uh, you know, draft picks in the first 10 uh, for just about every year, 14 years, and they did next to nothing with them. And so it got to the point where... You know, they would draft somebody pretty high and you'd be like, well, it'll be only a couple of years before they flame out of baseball. But now I think we have a real reason to believe that there's a system in place and and professionals who know what they're doing from a baseball standpoint with the backing of ownership, which is unique to our experience as fans. Um, So, yeah, things sucked last year. uh, Historically, things will be pretty ugly for the next couple of years. Uh, but there's real hope to to think that the organization has a plan that over the next say five years will bring us to be a consistent organization that isn't in danger of being a laughing stock.
0: So I mean that's horrible from our perspective because you know, we like it when there's teams that are not good in the L East, but good for you guys and actually good for the game in general.
1: Well, it's gonna be great for you
0: for a while. Yeah, true. And then by that time, you know, with, you know, the Jays will probably be in the same spot that you're in now. So we'll, we'll we'll see how that goes. But given that we are still talking about 2019 and what's going to happen this year, the team, I mean, the, the way the Orioles are set up right now, it seems like there's a lot of veterans that are going to be playing a bulk of the time, at least, you know, like VR, Davis, Trumbo, and then the entire starting rotation. I guess the question is, is there something there that you, or are really looking forward to happen, even if it's just what are some of those guys playing well enough to get traded or, or is there, or are there guys waiting the wings now that you're excited to see?
1: So it sounds really terrible, but neither. Um, and what I mean by that is this, I don't think that there is anybody on the roster right now. That's going to be there when the Orioles are good again. I, I don't think that there's anybody on the roster that I need to see develop because they're going to be a solution when the Orioles are competing for. The top of the division i'm more interested to see what they have what they will do and what they continue to do with the prospects right so so they famously traded manny machado we got back uh, a couple of nice players and a couple of fillers for a deal i'm curious to see what happens with those nice players you know what what happens um to use Nel Diaz, uh, he's not ready to play Major League Baseball. And frankly, I don't want to see him if he's not ready. Uh, for a long time, the Orioles would bring up players who weren't ready because we didn't have anybody better, uh, because they, they were trying to compete where they didn't have a shot. I would much rather the Orioles develop players at the right speed and wait for them to be good. Um, you know, that, that sounds a whole lot. Like I'm saying, I want the Orioles to tank. That's not what I'm saying. Uh, but the, the roster decisions that they've made doesn't really excite me. You know, we brought in Acetus Escobar as a, a veteran presence in the, in the infield. I could really care less as to whether or not he makes the team. I could really care less as to what he achieves this year. Uh, you, you mentioned Jonathan VR. He's a player that It is filling time until the Orioles are good again. And so, yeah, I mean, I I hope he does well because I'd like to see a winner on the club, but I'm not really emotionally invested in his success personally. Um, At this point, you know, I think Orioles fans are in the position of having to root for the laundry because, you know, the personalities are just not that exciting. Um, there are some folks that we'd like to see do well because we, as fans get emotionally attached to people, uh, Trey Mancini, Cedric Mullins. We we'd like to see these guys do well. I'd love to see Dylan Bundy finally turn himself into a a top flight pitcher. I'm not really sure that's, that's in the cards for him anymore, but you hope for that to happen. But as far as guys like, you know, Andrew, Andrew Kashner, Alex Cobb, Mark Trumbo, Chris Davis, uh, you know, no big deal. Uh, uh. I I hope they do because I don't want to see a loser, but I'm not I'm not really expecting much.
2: So this is the part where I usually try and get someone to put a number on their team. Now, you you alluded to the uh, Houston Astros and the 2012 Astros were almost as famously bad as uh, as these 2018 Orioles were. Uh, But I I, are you are you going to be willing to put a number on how bad the 2019 Orioles are going to be?
1: Well, you know, I joked before about 115 games being difficult to lose, and I I, I think there's probably some truth to that. I, I also think that, uh, you know, in, in order to avoid losing 100 games, this club would have to have a huge uh, improvement. So um, a number, I'm not sure I'm ready to do that, but I will say that I think this club easily eclipses 100 losses.
2: Wow, which uh, pretty much, I don't have to ask what position in the division they're going to be <laughs>
1: Let, let me let me put it this way. Minus a, a very strange relocation or a very unfortunate train accident, I think that
0: the Orioles will be in, in last place in the AL East. Okay, quick reframing. Will the Orioles be closer to fourth than the fourth place team is to first place?
1: Oh, man. Uh, so, at SAT, uh, uh, fourth is to third. Is fifth. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. <laughs> No. no it's won't.
2: it's still going to be that bad is what you're saying and you're still along for the ride and, and for that I admire you. I admire did, your did commitment. Did I
1: mention the Dominican Republic uh offered 100 and and some uh soldiers to World War II? <laughs> <laughs> that kind of footnote, guys.
2: <laughs> uh people I'm going to refer to the Dominican Orioles and people are going to go they're there aren't any good dominicans on there what are you i don't understand it's like no i uh, and i refer them back to this podcast where can we find you on the twitter sir
1: you should uh find out everything that's going on in orioles baseball i think at bird's eye view bal that's bird's eye view ball
2: all right anything worth talking about certainly will be on there we appreciate your stopping by again and uh maybe we'll see you in the middle of the season in the middle of that exciting season series to see uh who can race to the bottom in the al east
1: Hey, best of luck to you. I'm rooting for you.
2: Alright, take care.
1: <laughs> Thanks, guys.
2: And we're back. Uh you know what? I, I think if a if a sinkhole had opened up on Utah Street and eaten the right field bleachers, it could not have gone worse last year for the Baltimore Orioles. Well at least nobody would have been hurt. <laughs> You know, they their literal worst attendance is always Blue Jays games in late season. Always. Those, Even when they were good. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I can only think that most of the rest of the ALEs some sometimes people will travel from New York and Boston to get there to be, you know, away fans, and that just doesn't happen with the Blue Jays fans. So so it's literally only Baltimore fans in the park.
0: Yeah. Uh, I don't know what that is, but <laughs> Here's the thing: They did not have the worst attendance in the division last year. No,
2: because Tampa's in a division,
0: right? They they still outdrew Tampa by almost six thousand fans a game. <laughs> they lost 115 games. Tampa won 90.
2: You know what? Uh, I don't. I don't. I have no explanation really for that in the long run. So I'm just gonna play the question stinger. <laughs> Time now to hear from our listeners. That just seems silly.
1: Here are the rules. First I ask a question, then you ask a question.
2: Now, how does that sound, sweetheart?
0: Could you repeat the question, please?
2: All right, so answer me these questions three, because that's how many questions we have this week. What uh, do you have for our first question, Josh?
0: Yeah, so this was from Brendan Kuhn. He actually asked it to me directly, but I thought it would be it was an interesting one to read on here. Uh, would the Royals have to put Elvis Luciano on their 40-man in order to take him back if the Jays returned him? A lot of people don't really understand parts of the rule five draft, and this is one that I you know I can see people being confused about because the guy goes from the forty men to what? The answer is no. They don't have to put it back on the forty men because could you imagine that if that was the way it was? It's like, okay, you take a guy from the team in the rule five and then they fill out their rosters like, Okay, we'll send him back, you have to DFA someone now.
2: Yeah, so the the it's the, the the privilege of the rule five is to pick from someone else's organization someone they might actually want to keep. And the penalty of the Rule 5 is that you, you, the picker, must keep that person on your roster for the entire season, right?
0: Yeah, that's correct. Unless they're hurt, in which case you can DL them, then you have to keep them up the following year. But, you know, I, I do understand this question, though, because it's a weird concept that someone can be on the 40-man and then just not. Right. Because and, and it's I, the only situation where that can occur without an outright assignment.
2: Yeah, and, and all of the... The the drafting rules in in uh, in baseball are all a muddled mess, if you ask me, as well as the DFA rules. Um, it's they're they're all very convoluted. So I totally understand the question. Okay, Sean Addis at Sean underscore Addis asks, "Who do you think opens the season in the triple A Buffalo rotation, and who might be a surprise to make the Blue Jays pitching staff?" Mm.
0: It's a tougher one. Uh so Reed Foley, I think for sure. And Pannone will be there. This is he just said the triple A rotation, right? Yes. Okay, so those those two are, are locks. Uh I would have said TJ Zork. No, Zork, that sounded like Zork. Uh.
2: <laughs> it's an unusual yeah, but, name, not that unusual of a name.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh he's hurt right now, so I don't know exactly what the deal is going to be with him. I I assume he's in there, but Trent Thornton, Jacob Waggisback, back, those guys. And I think the surprise will be if one of David Paulino or Waggisback back makes the big league club, because I could see either of them filling in a role or even Sam Gaviglio, you know, but where they're they're the long man. So, you know, the potential fifth starter in Buffalo is also the potential surprise in the
2: Jays bullpen to me, at least. And we have a question from a Josh. So would you like the honor uh, honor of asking the Josh question?
0: Oh, I suppose I can do that. Sure. This is from Josh Trites at Tritesy. What would the optimal season look like to you? Obviously, playoffs aren't realistic. So what are you looking for?
2: I think that is uh, interesting. I'm actually completely unconcerned with the Blue Jays record as a team. Like, I really don't care if they win 75 or uh, 88 games. Anywhere in that range, even 65. I I don't care. Um, Because ultimately, uh, you know, I just, I don't want to see them burning out pitchers and and going into extra inning contests and, and, you know, mucking up the roster uh, and guys getting hurt because just because you have to play 162 games. So from that perspective, I don't care. I would like to see individual progress from uh, some of the, the people out there. So I would like to see a, a, you know, 180 plus inning season from Aaron Sanchez—that would be ideal for me to see that he can make it through a season uninjured. Um, I would like to see Marcus Stroman um, take his turn and, and be, you know, with his peripherals as the Marcus Stroman who we we've, we've come to see, but you know, when he's not injured. I would like to see a couple of the guys, sort of, you know, uh, who are not, you know, 100 sure about, like Gritchuk and, and Teoscar Hernandez, uh, maybe take a little step forward. Um, depending on, you know, the coaching they get and the t- playing time they get, that kind of stuff. And, of course, I want to see uh, Vlad Guerrero Jr. come into his own against Major League Pitching and, and really know what they have offensively and defensively and find out if he's going to stick at third or if they're going to get him over to first base because they need his bat in the future. That's my ideal season is is to learn those things and uh, and not have a cloud over over 2020.
0: I agree with almost everything you just said. The one exception being I do care a little bit about the win total because if it's 65, that means they're going to 100% suck next year, too. If they're at least, (laughs) no, because if they win 65 games, then, well, one, it means a lot of those other things didn't work out right, but also it means they're not going to try in 2020. So I want them to win, you know, 82 games. I don't think they're going to, but I want them to win that 80, 80 ish range. So it's like, okay, well, these guys are readier than we thought. Now let's actually supplement. I mean, I, don't know. I know you're not supposed to be allowed to add good players, but to actually supplement in free agency next year. Um, I, I have to look this
2: up because I'm curious. The Boston Red Sox team history. Well, that's not the one I want. I want the year-by-year stats. Yes, it's always good to look up stuff live. No, it's You're going to look at their records when they went all in and all that? Here we are. So uh, they won... Yeah, so the, the Red Sox never lost more or never won less than 69 games, but they won 69 games in 2012 and then 97 in 2013. And then they won... After s- winning 90 in 2011, though, that 69 <laughs> games was the aberration. Uh, but then they won 71, 78, and 93. So yeah, okay. So you're you're looking at a 70-ish game threshold at the bottom of, of where you think contention would be for next year, or like for 2020.
0: No, I, I think it's that upper end, right? So not seventy-ish. I think it's closer to eighties. So like, they, they, so the Red Sox won seventy-eight games with a better roster than, you know, what it looked like because they had the young guys emerging exactly like the Blue Jays, and then they went out and got Chris Sale and made a couple of other moves, and they, you know, they won fifteen more games and won the division and so on. But so that's what it has to be. You have to be in that in that area where it's like, okay, well, like with a couple tweaks and improvement, we can contend. Not with a couple tweaks and improvement, we can win eighty games.
2: All right. Well, it's it's fair. I just I think there's. There's more volatility in the roster with a number of young guys that they're planning on bringing up, maybe. Then, well, than, that's the idea, though. They,
0: yeah. if these young guys show that they're readier, then the team could at least try to contend in 2020. It doesn't mean they will, like that they'll actually succeed, but at least they can go for it.
2: All righty. That concludes the question. So well, the other thing we have is that the Blue Jays, are uh, not Blue Jays, the Major League Baseball is looking at for reals this time a rule change. <laughs>
0: Yeah, uh this guy. I don't know what's coming with this because there's going to be a few things. But apparently, the league is going to be expanding the rosters to, or it's not agreed to, but close to an agreement to 26 players for 2020. Which means there's going to be some concessions because there's no way baseball would just give up an extra player that they're paying.
2: Well, exactly, and that's ultimately you can argue about the you know the sanctity of the roster size or whatever else, but a twenty sixth player is somebody making a half million dollars plus on every team every year which is what any union wants right more members of the association Mm -hmm.
0: and apparently there's gonna be a 13 pitcher maximum how does that work if you have like you darvish does he count as a pitcher (laughs) can he be like a 13 and a half
2: you mean shohei otani
0: what did I say? Udarvish? Well, yep. that's bad. Um, yeah, I, I was. Just, I can't read MLB trade rumors while I'm doing this because I'm a thing about the Cubs while I'm doing this.
2: Um, Not yes, all Japanese imports are two-way players, Josh. It doesn't yes, work like thank that. You. <laughs> thank you. Thank uh, you.
0: I'll I'll pay attention to the podcast because I, 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 I was scrolling to find the rules and I I found a Cubs thing. But uh, anyway, yes, Shohei Otani or Brendan McKay with the Rays. Or Matt Davidson, who's, you know, going to be a two-way player for whoever he ends up with at the end of this of all this stuff. So
2: how does that work? <laughs> I don't know how you account for that. I think they probably count as pitchers. I think that's just the way it's going to be.
0: Um, I don't know, uh. because then, they, then there's no value to those guys. Well, okay, Otani is separate because he's awesome. But, like, Davidson's entire value is that he takes up—he can play a position, but without, you know, taking up two roster spots— But if you're limited in
2: your pitcher spots anyway, then that guy, there's no point to him. We'll just go to the Yahoo Fantasy Baseball qualifications and that's what they'll count as.
0: Yahoo Baseball, I think, has
2: two Shohei Otanis. (laughs) So literally two roster spots. (laughs) Um, How did I know I would have the answer there by just throwing Yahoo out? I have no idea.
0: But uh, anyway, I think this is interesting. Unfortunately, it's a year too late. If it was this year, I think Dalton Pompey would 100% make the roster.
2: With Mr. 26
0: yeah like why not yeah you know, he's out of options and it's like he still has talent you know he can pinch run he can play some games like who cares but you know with without that I don't I don't it's going to be really tough even with everything we're talking about I mean I, he has to win a job over Teoscar Hernandez or Billy McKinney and you know they have huge legs up on him so he's probably wishing it was next year
2: yeah. Yeah, it's it's tough when when circumstances uh conspire against you for a couple of years and then yeah, like you said, you're out of options and suddenly the clock is ticking. And there's not much you can do about it at this point. No. So what else I think I think at this point this is where I ask you for a final thought.
0: Yeah, uh we were going to mention it earlier and then forgot. But uh one of the interesting things about buckholz is that Ryan brocky might not have a job now, which is crazy, or at least crazy to think about. Because earlier in the in the spring, when we talked about this, but Ross atkins said there's four guys guaranteed for the rotation and then a battle for the fifth, and the four guys were Sanchez, Stroman, Shoemaker, and Clayton
2: Richard. <laughs> well, here you're, you're contractually obligated to pause before you say his name. Well, yeah.
0: <laughs> um, okay, uh, I mean, I guess it made some sense when, you know, when they only had four of them, but they don't only have four of them now because they've got clay b- clay buckles. So, and I can't imagine they're going to stick to that and send Baraki to the minors because that just sounds wrong,
2: right? That the the most consistent pitcher down the stretch you had last year starts in the minors because you didn't mention his name you know, at the beginning of spring training this year.
0: But I didn't mention his name, specifically mentioned that he had to battle for a spot. Yeah. And especially because Clayton Richard, right? Last year, lefties had an OPS of 663 against him. Righties, 799. That's bad. <laughs>
2: yeah. <And> OPS <laughs> um, of 800 against, I guess, an entire class of batter. Not good.
0: Right. And, you know, look, Clayton Richard... He is an innings eater, so I can understand this idea where they want to keep him in there. But righties for his career have done so much better against him than lefties. And they just only have one lefty in the pen, and it's Tim Meza. So it seems like he could have pretty useful value. Pretty useful value. Pretty good value pitching as a reliever.
2: Uh, does that create a logjam in the bullpen?
0: No, it could just be get rid of Sam Caviglia or Joe Biagini or something. I mean, who cares about those guys? <laughs>
2: Their mothers do, Josh. Their <laughs> mothers do.
0: Okay, but just more in the sense of like, you know, Beadiney can go to the minors, and Sam Gavilio, Sam
2: Gavilio It's like they're not, they're not outstanding talents in in any particular way.
0: No, but they also wouldn't be. Yeah, you know, they're both righties too. So it's like, look at the righty depth chart. It's Giles, Tapera, Phelps, Norris, and then you're getting to one of those guys. I mean, that's pretty far down. Indeed. Well an Axford. So this is they're the sixth righty in the bullpen. I don't it's not really a big role.
2: <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Well, and I'm uh, I think I'm going to call it uh, the end of the podcast, which is to say uh you have been Joshua House at Joshua House. And I have been Greg Kuznetsov at Coolhead 2010 and our guest was uh Jake from Birds Eye Bol- View Baltimore at Birds Eye View BAL. And we sorry, and this was Artificial Turf Wars, episode number one hundred and thirty-two. And we'll talk at you next week.